I want to discuss the hot topic this week of women in ministry and leadership. Yeah, me too. Um, so next week, I'm going to talk about doctrine and, and the authority of God's word and how nothing and no one should be put up as equal to the authority of God's word. I don't want to get stuck on that this week. But, but things happen when you begin to listen to other people and their opinions and or interpretations or traditions and histories, and that doesn't line up with the whole word of God. Okay, so I, I'm not just like throwing a specific organization under the bus this morning, but they pretty much did it to themselves because a few weeks ago in New Orleans, 2023, just a couple of weeks ago, the Southern Baptist Convention came together and they decided unequivocally to expel two churches from their convention, from their organization. They didn't expel the churches because of uh, sexual immorality or financial fraud or, or sin that would separate them from a personal relationship with God. They expelled two churches because of the church's appointment of women in leadership. And then they added this as a resolution on the floor in that meeting to be voted on next year and officially added to their constitution and bylaws as a nonprofit in the United States of America. This is the statement. The Southern Baptist Convention, and I quote, affirms, appoints, and employs only men as any kind of pastor or elder. I have a huge personal and biblical, most importantly, biblical issue with this interpretation. With this amendment, and hang in here, if you agree with that, just hang on until the end, because it really doesn't matter what I think, it matters what God says. What is the biblical pattern? What is the authority of Scripture in regards to this subject? With this amendment, what we're saying is no woman would be allowed to attain ministerial credentials with a certain organization. And as the Lafayette Presbyter of the Assemblies of God for the state of Louisiana, I have interviewed multiple women on the, in the last year and signed my name as affirming their calling for license and ordination. So I'm essentially being told that what I'm doing is unbiblical. And I disagree. So I'm going to declare. It's not Mother's Day. It's not Daughter's Day. It's not even my wife's birthday. I just needed to get up here today and declare what we will believe and how we will apply God's word in this house. That statement would say that no woman would be allowed to teach. So we would have to remove all of our female group leaders from having any biblical authority in explaining or interpreting the word of God amongst men that they're supposed to be subject to. That removes all discipleship, and it certainly removes all pulpit ministry from someone based on their gender, not necessarily their gifting. It is saying that no woman should be on staff. 
So Pastor Leticia, Pastor Lydia, Pastor Connie, who leads our preteens and who is, by the way, officiating a memorial service this morning as a credentialed minister with the Assemblies of God. According to this resolution, none of those women belong in any of those positions. And no woman should be allowed to have any sort of leadership position in the church whatsoever. Church, this is an exorbitant and excessive application of God's word. I rebuke this resolution or the mentality or ideology of this legislation off of this house. We do not accept this resolution. And with that, and I don't know if it's only women clapping, but I'm just going to keep preaching because I have found that if you want to be happy, make the ladies happy as long as it's in line with God's word. Here's my first point outside of my opinion. I believe that we need to beware unreasonable applications of God's word. We need to beware of unreasonable applications of God's word. I'm going to come back to this next week because there's a lot of unreasonable applications of God's words. And then there's a lot of unreasonable things that arose throughout history that blame applications and or deny applications of God's word. And that'll be a lot of fun. So on June 26th, my brilliant pastor, superintendent of the U.S. Assemblies of God, Doug Clay, decided to make a little less aggressive. And I probably should learn from him, but I have not arrived and yet I press on. He very simply wrote an article celebrating the call of God on women and posted it on the homepage of the Assembly of God national website. I didn't even know he did it. I just, I was looking up our position paper and I was like, ah, look at my man, Pastor Doug Clay, just kind of, just, just, just spearing them, you know, make sure right there. We want to celebrate. And this is a great article, ag.org, really simple to find, ag.org. You can go read that article. You can click on it, give you several examples of how God used women In the early history, specifically of the charismatic movement and the rebirth, I believe, of the church of the book of Acts beginning in 1890. And I won't get stuck on that today, but I can come back to it later. And even within this article is the Assemblies of God position paper. Let me show you the scripture. There are two scriptures on which you could hang your hat and ultimately yourself, if you want to deny women the opportunity to lead and or teach or have influence and or ordination in ministry. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34. Ladies, I did not write this. Verse 34 says, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, the women should be kept silent. The women should keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak. This is the English Standard Version. But should be in submission as the law also says. All right, man, that's tough, right? If you just take that scripture and you apply it unequivocally across the board, then that interpretation could be used to 
hinder women from being used by God as we move forward as a church. But it's interesting to me, and I'm just going to leave that up there for a second. You can check all the versions. You can go back and check the Greek. By the way, in the original Greek, the women should keep silent. It actually translates better in the English if it said hold peace. The women should hold peace in the worship center or as people gather together. I'm going to keep going. But it's interesting to me because 1 Corinthians 14 Following 1 Corinthians 13, which is the definition of God's love and the definition of biblical love, which every single one of us need to go read and work really hard this week to apply because it has nothing to do with feeling or emotion, but I ain't got time to preach that again. 1 Corinthians 14 comes in and Paul begins to address some of the things that were happening in the church in Corinth, one of which seemed to be excess uses of the gift of tongues, not just the personal prayer language, but the gift of tongues. And so Paul comes in and he says like, listen, whenever you speak in tongues, you're speaking mysteries into the kingdom of God. And how many of you understand that you need to learn how to speak mysteries into the kingdom of God? You need to learn how to pray outside of your understanding, outside of your English. And then when you pray outside of your English, you don't need to be satisfied with just speaking mysteries because then you need to ask for the interpretation so that you can understand what God's trying to say. But you want to speak mysteries because the last time I checked, the devil doesn't and have the gift of discernment and or the gift of interpretation. And when you learn how to pray, I ain't got time to preach tongues today, but when you learn how to pray in this manner, you're not fighting fair. So Paul is addressing tongues and he's addressing interpretation. He says, I wish that you all prayed in tongues because I pray in tongues more than all of you. And when you pray in tongues, you should seek to interpret Because when you pray in tongues, you edify yourself. But when you interpret and or prophesy, you edify the church. And I'd rather you speak one word understood than a thousand in tongues. So he's addressing an issue. By the way, it's not unbiblical to speak in tongues in church. It's just out of order if you're not mindful of everybody around you. I pray in tongues all the time right here on the front row because it don't bother my wife and they can't hear me. I'm not going to turn on my microphone and start Shundala Hyundai and in your key (laughs) because I don't want to confuse you. And if I start praying in tongues, then I'm going to believe God for an interpretation or I may just ask God for the interpretation and then I'll get up here and give you the understanding of what God's trying to say for me because that's what Paul is addressing. It's crazy. Think about it with me. I got stuck way too long right there. It's crazy to me that the same people that don't believe in tongues, the same people that don't believe that the Holy Spirit moves today the way that he did 2,000 years ago, The same groups of people, the cessationists, that say these things have ceased, can look at a chapter that Paul wrote to a church about something in excess. They don't believe in tongues. They don't believe in the gift of interpretation. They don't believe in prophecy. They don't believe that the Holy Spirit still moves the same way that Paul wrote about in the rest of the chapter. But my God, you get down to verse 34, and we're going to hang our hat on that one. Well, that's what happens when you exclude the Holy Spirit in every other area of your life. Or you limit him and constrict him to just salvation instead of a daily walk. That's one thing. The other thing is to understand the cultural correction of excess that Paul was doing in this moment. You can't take one verse out of context and turn it into doctrine. There's two places in the New Testament 
right here and then 1 Timothy chapter 2. Obviously, young Timothy, I may know a little bit about being a young pastor in a place where everybody thinks they're smarter than you. Apparently, Timothy was having that same struggle. So Paul wrote him a letter. And Paul said, listen, I don't trust the women at your church. (laughs) He didn't say, I don't trust any woman ever. And I'll prove to you that that wasn't the way that he felt. Because of other things that happened in the Apostle Paul's life, that God used the women to, that God permitted the women to proclaim and Paul actually listened to. Apparently, there were some people swinging from the chandeliers some excessive emotionalism, and people, people were more interested in sensuality than they were the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is addressing this issue, and i got to keep going. Here's what it would mean if we took this as stiff-necked, as I do not affirm women in any manner whatsoever to lead in ministry. Keep silent. Here's what it would mean. Women don't sing. Women don't pray. Women don't say amen. Women don't quote scripture and don't teach the Bible. You are not authorized to teach the Bible. It's not because you're not educated or you don't have the experience. You're not authorized. You can't teach it because you're a woman. Sorry, the rest of my Bible doesn't agree with that perspective. Now, as you can tell, I'm a little bit annoyed. I mean, passionate about this topic. Perhaps it's because a couple of weeks ago I was at our Louisiana student camp with 400 students in the room, young men, young women, boys and girls, preteens, young adults all across the room. And the the call was given by our National Speed the Light director that if, if you feel like you hear the voice of God right now, and you sense that God is calling you into full-time vocational ministry. Like you know that God wants to use you as a missionary, as a pastor, as a teacher, or even an entrepreneur. Oh, that God would help our entrepreneurs understand that everything that he has given them is a gift to be used to build his kingdom, not their own. It doesn't matter. I got to keep going. And, and if you would respond to that, I want you to stand up right now. Now, my little girl, 12 years old, along with some of her friends and other women and other young ladies in our group, they stood up with all the young men and with all the boys, and they all went down to the front, and people started praying over them, and they were lifting their hands, and they were answering the call of God because they heard the voice of God, and they obeyed the voice of God. Now, if my man, Pastor Eric Hoffman, would have said, whoa, hey, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Um, just the guys, I'm sorry. Adeline, go sit down. Brother would have lost the microphone. I'm just letting you know right now. I I would have inserted myself into that moment. Because what I did as a daddy and a person, I believe, who has enough Holy Spirit to interpret the entire Bible with the multitude of counsel is I took my baby, actually I took my bride, I said, come with me. And we went down there before they met in their small groups, and I took, I said, hey, I need to talk to you real quick, because I got to do something that I I, I just want you to remember. And I do this right now. If I spoke it into my daughter, I speak it to every one of God's daughters right now. I looked into the eyes of my 12-year-old, and I said, I need you to never forget this moment. I believe in you. The next statement was, I believe you just heard from God. Because I don't need her to spend the next decade 
wondering if that was an emotional moment or an authentic voice. I wanted to affirm as her daddy with her mama, you just heard from the Lord, and I will spend the rest of my life supporting you, equipping you, and training you to accomplish what you just heard God lay on your heart. And I do that for every woman in this house. I do that for every daughter in this place. Because the, God, the call of God on the life of a woman is just as significant as the call of God on the life of a man. And I don't need, help me Jesus, I don't need any illegitimate interpretation of God's word trying to hinder or hold back my little girls and allow them to think that the call of God on their life is less than the call of God on their brother. The last time I checked, you don't need a man, you need the son of man. And you're not waiting to marry into your ministry. You are the bride of Christ. You don't have to become a wife to be used by God. you got to become a bride to be used by God. And when God puts his hand upon your life, it doesn't matter what anybody else or an entire organization says about you. I came to tell all the daughters of the Most High today that God didn't create you just to be led around like a puppy by some man that can't accurately hear from God. He created you as a companion. It was modeled by Adam and fulfilled by Jesus. You are who God says you are and you can do what God says you can do. You don't need a husband. You need a relationship with your heavenly father that can take you further than any man will try to put and hinder you in a horizon. The call is significant. The call is significant. God says, whom I foreknew, I predestined. Whom I predestined, I have called. Whom I have called, I have justified, and whom I've justified, I've glorified. What then shall we say to this? That if God be for me, then what man, woman, or demon could come up against me? If he did not, I'm preaching myself into the calling whether you go with me or not. If he did not spare his own son, then will he not also give you, woman of God, you, man of God, everything that you need to accomplish his call? If you believe it, praise him one more time. I'll keep going, but I just need to get this in somebody today. See, when interpreting Scripture, and we'll come back to this more next week, but when you interpret Scripture, you have to consider three things. Number one, you have to consider the context. You can't take one verse. There's two verses in the New Testament that would affirm this type of interpretation. Just two. Two verses. In the context of 66 books, which I'll come back to, but also just in the context of that chapter that has nothing to do with what we're turning doctrine into. So you got to consider the whole context. The next thing that you need to consider is the author's intent. When you're studying God's word, look at the context. If a scripture doesn't make sense, if it's not logical, if it's unreasonable, then look at the context in which it was written. If it still doesn't make sense, then consider who's writing it. Consider why they're writing it. Consider who they're writing it to. Because you don't want to read into God's word what you want it to say. All kinds of demonic doctrines come out of that. But you want to read out of God's word what he's trying to say.
In 2 Timothy 3.16, not in your notes, it says that all Scripture is God-breathed. And we'll come back to this again next week. And it's good for doctrine and rebuke and correction and training in righteousness. But you got to understand what that author's trying to say to those people and why he or she, by the way, is trying to say it in order to understand what God is actually trying to say. And then here's number three. Well, that's too hard. No, it's not. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Well, I just don't know how to read the Bible. I don't understand. No, but if I told you you'd get a $100,000 increase if you passed this test, you'd study your little tail off. See, we make time for things that are important. I ain't got time to preach it today. The third thing, other scriptures. If one scripture doesn't line up with other scriptures, then you got to figure out what you don't understand about the entire Bible. For instance, you could get confused. Simple example, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. All right, so it's just by grace. I can't do anything to earn it. I can't do anything to lose it. That's a hyper application of that verse. Because verse 10 says, for your God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. Wait a minute, Paul, which one is it? Am I justified by faith? an idea of what I believe, or am I justified by faithfulness? If you don't understand it, it's probably because you need to study and show yourself approved. Because James then comes along in his book or in his epistle to the church, and he says, if you show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works, because faith without works is dead. It's not a contradiction. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. It complements itself. It doesn't allow our finite mind to get stuck on one end of the spectrum and call it doctrine. Context. Author's intent. And other scriptures. See, when we exaggerate or misappropriate the word of God, we lose our credibility on things that actually matter. Now, my wife's the only one amen, and so I'm just going to keep preaching because she don't do that when it ain't good. When we misappropriate and exaggerate the word of God, you end up with excessive things like feminism. You end up with excessive things like equality. Well, all men were created equal. No, they weren't stupid. We're all different. Every single one of us. When God made you, he made an original. Come on, somebody. You're unlike anybody that's ever been created before. In fact, he gave you a stamp of origin. It's called a fingerprint. And he only made one of you, and he only made one of them. And my wife said, thank God that you only made one of him. (laughs) But when you get excess feminism, and then you get excess equality, now all of a sudden you get equity. And everybody should be treated the same at all times, no matter what. Whether they're working hard or, no, I can't get, I ain't got time. Because you'll think I'm being political, and I'm really just being biblical. See, I'm exposing the excess so that we can walk in the authentic. When you get equity, you, become, you begin to become obsessed with quotas based on gender, based on ethnicity, instead of actually allowing equal opportunity for those who are qualified and re- legitimately have the ability to fulfill that position. But when you don't, you get what we have. When you discriminate against gender and or ethnicity, then you get accused of discriminating against transgender. 
and sexuality. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we are as a nation. Help me, Holy Spirit. When you have a room full of white men telling a bunch of women that they don't deserve the right to be used by God in a certain way, then you have a masculine woman stand up in rebellion against the women with a rainbow sash and say, see, the Bible and all the people that believe it are archaic. They don't want to move forward. They don't want to progress. But that's not even their fault. It's our responsibility. See, when we major on minor issues, we lose our voice on authentic doctrine. We lose our influence when we allow the devil to distract us from the truth of God's word. Let me give you a biblical history of how God used women in ministry, of how the apostle Paul allowed women to speak into his life. You can read more about this in our position paper, the role of women in ministry adopted in 2010 by the General Council of the Assemblies of God. In the Old Testament, Miriam, which is, by the way, one of the things I love about this fellowship, and if I'm not Assembly of God because, because they, I don't believe this because the Assemblies of God has this as a doctrine. I believed this, so I became Assemblies of God because this is a doctrine. There's a big difference. If they change what they believe about the Bible, then I'll change who I'm credentialed with. But as long as we believe the Bible, then I'm going to keep moving forward with what I believe is the greatest move of God on the face of the earth in 2023. This is the statement. Miriam, prophetess to Israel during Exodus. Miriam was the sister of Moses and Aaron. And God did not, did not perceive her to be lesser or her anointing to be lesser than that of her brothers. Deborah, prophetess and judge. Now, some people love to use this example because they say Deborah was only a judge because none of the men were fit to serve. Very well, guys, you want to use I ain't got time to preach that today. Yeah, you're right. You better stand up so that you have a voice and you don't watch other people serve in roles that God actually anointed you to serve in. But that's not even the issue here because God was proving that he can use somebody no matter their gender. Holda, if this was the only example, then maybe that would be a good, a good view. But Holda was a prophetess to King Josiah. You know what King Josiah didn't do? I'm not listening to you. You're a woman. Now, I don't know if King Josiah's mama made him understand that he better not talk that way to women or if Holda had the anointing of God on her so prevalently that he knew better than to argue with it. But Holda was used by God to spark a revival, to authenticate God's word, and to lead the entire nation into repentance. I don't care if it's a woman or a man. I just don't want it to be a man dressed like a woman. I ain't got time to preach that today. I've already been there. See, but that's what happens whenever you can't differentiate actual doctrine from ideology. I don't care if it's a man or a woman leading this nation. I just want them to be born again. I just want them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I just want them to listen to the voice of God more so than they do the people who gather around them and try to get them to vote or to make proclamations according to what they want said as policy. I don't care who God uses. I just want his word to be authenticated. I don't care who God uses. I just want our nation to repent. I'll spare you the story of how God used a prostitute named Rahab, Naomi, 
a pagan named Ruth and a really pretty woman named Esther. New Testament. Tabitha oversaw the benevolence ministry in Acts chapter 9. Dr. Luke wanted us to know that God didn't discriminate according to gender. Lydia opened her home to launch the church in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Now, this one's interesting because the Bible says that Paul had a vision of a Macedonian man, but when he went to Philippi, he found a group of women. Now, I don't know if Paul was still stuck in a patriarchal society where he didn't equate equate women with men and God had to show him a vision of a man, or if he had to show him a vision of a man because he knew that Paul was not going to find a man that was worthy of the vision. So when he got to Philippi, he found a group of women being led by a lady of influence named Lydia who had a home big enough to facilitate all the people that God was about to win to the kingdom. So God used Paul to lift up Lydia who opened up her home so that when Paul led the Philippian jailer, the Macedonian man, into the gospel and his entire family, they'd have a place to go and it was the house of Lydia. I thank God that he doesn't discriminate against women or the Philippian jailer and his family wouldn't have had a place to go learn about Jesus. Philip's four daughters prophesied over Paul in Acts chapter 21. They came in and they began to prophesy. Now, the apostle Paul didn't say, ho, 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 have you not read the letter that I wrote to Corinth? I do not permit your daughters to speak. You know why I didn't say that? Because he was in Philip's house and he likes his teeth. Philip's daughters began to prophesy to the Apostle Paul, who is accused of affirming this exorbitant interpretation of God's Word that would not allow women to lead and teach in ministry. And so the daughters prophesied, and Paul heard the prophecy and actually adhered to it. In Romans chapter 16, Paul recognizes Phoebe, Priscilla, and Junia as deacon, co-worker in Christ, and apostle ahead of him. Let me say this confidently today. For anybody that listens to the Gospel Coalition or the Southern Baptist Convention or John MacArthur or anybody else that thinks that women don't belong in ministry, and none of those people are probably going to care. I don't even know if they're here today, and if you are, just hang in here with me a minute because I think that I have proven, and if I had more time, I'd prove it further. But if women weren't supposed to be in ministry, somebody forgot to tell Jesus. See, what happens when you don't think that women can lead is that you cause tension in marriage that's not supposed to be there. Here I come, Pastor Letitia. She was hoping I'd get into it. See, you have a bunch of come help me on the keyboard today so that we'll, they'll feel like we're about to get out of here. Uh, <laughs> when you tell women that they're not fit to lead, then they start to put unbiblical pressure on a husband that's not gifted in that area. I'm telling you, you are gifted to lead. You probably have the anointing of leadership on you. Now, husband, that does not dismiss you from walking in the anointing of the authority that God has given you, but I'm not Jesus in my household. We are Jesus in my household. They don't just look at me. They look at us. And if mama wants to teach them, mama can teach them. And if mama wants to correct them, mama can correct them. And if mama wants to rebuke them and me, as long as it's biblical, then we all better show Shut up, stand up, and get in line. Because when you tell a woman that she's not fit to lead and she has the gift of Romans chapter 12, which is the gift of leadership, the Bible says she's supposed to lead. And when you tell her she can't 
because she's not created as an equal and you think that she was created for leadership when God said she was created for companionship then all of a sudden you have a husband trying to walk in a gift that he doesn't have and a wife suffocating a gift that she does have and instead of understanding that the biblical interpretation from the man in the pulpit is wrong they think something's wrong with their marriage I can't get no help so I got to keep going if women weren't supposed to lead somebody forgot to tell Jesus because when God sent Gabriel the angel he didn't send the angel to Joseph he it would have been nice I bet Joseph would have appreciated it. Hey, Joe, I need to let you know something. I'm going to put a baby in your fiance. <laughs> not that way, not that way. That's not what he did. He came to Mary and he said, you have been chosen among women. By the way, and man, because the Bible says in Genesis, that when God looked at them, he called them Adam. God didn't name her, I ain't got time to preach it today. God didn't name her Eve, mother of all the living, so that she would be subject to whether she was able to be married and have a child. Adam did that to her. That was part of the curse, not part of the plan of redemption. When God came, Jesus with the disciples, which included women, Although they didn't write about it as much because culturally it wasn't appropriate to adhere to the testimony of woman. In fact, in first century Jerusalem and in the Roman Empire, a woman's testimony was not equal to that of a man. But Jesus, with all the men standing right there, went to a woman at a well who did not deserve to hear what he declared to her. And if she didn't deserve to hear what he declared, then she certainly did not deserve the right by position to go and declare it on his behalf. But Jesus said, I believe that we don't just worship in any place, but there's coming a time where we will worship God in spirit and in truth. I need you to go tell everybody the Messiah has come and she ran off into the city come see this man who told me all of the things that I did and Jesus used her even though they didn't want to listen to her fast forward a little bit the women come to the tomb and I've preached this message before my question was where'd all the men go I might preach it in a couple of weeks. Where are all the men? You know where they are? They're in the corner whining about what their wife said about them. Act like a man instead of a little boy. Stand up, show up. Here come the women. Where are all the men? Scattered like ants, scared, hiding for their lives. Not the women. What are the women ready to do? The women are ready to anoint the body of Jesus. Why? Because you carry 
carry the anointing whether you're a man or a woman. And when you carry the anointing, you show up at an empty tomb and you understand that the anointing is affirmed by the one that couldn't be held in the grave. So when they showed up to the empty tomb, Jesus revealed himself to Mary of Magdala, the harlot of Magdalene. And then he said this, I need you, Mary, to go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell all the boys that I am alive, thereby declaring to the world that the first evangelistic anointing fell upon a former prostitute and is not subject to gender. Come on, let me give you one more, one more, one more, one more. 120 people are in a room, Dr. Luke wrote in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit blew into the room like a mighty rushing wind, wind and laid upon them as tongues of fire. And they all began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. Every single man and woman, they all began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. So Simon Peter stood up with the eleven and likely all the women and he began to communicate what God had been saying for several hundred years. Here's what he said. Acts chapter 2 verse 17. In the last days, I don't care what resolutions arise on constitutional floors. In the last days it shall be, says the Lord. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. If you hadn't noticed that we're living in the last days, then open up your spiritual eyes because the time is near. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on all your sons I will pour out my spirit on all your daughters I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams why because the men are sitting around watching all the women do the work come on somebody I got to keep going that was in addition I, I probably shouldn't have said that verse 18 even on my male servants and on my female servants same translation by the way I stuck with the English standard version just in case anybody wanted to argue with me that I used a different version of the scripture. The male servants and the female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they, they, they shall prophesy. Verse 21 says it will come to pass that everyone, everybody say everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's the point. If we believe in the gifts then we don't invalidate women and tell them that they're not appropriate to walk in the gifts. We believe in the gifts of Romans 12. We believe in the gifts of 1 Corinthians 12. Because we believe in the gifts, we believe that God can pour out his spirit on anybody at any time, in any place, and it is not subject to gender. I'm losing some of y'all, so I'm going to start to close. Please don't misunderstand me. We've been in this series for five weeks now. I believe in the difference between male and female. I told y'all the story a couple of weeks ago. I told my wife, stop making my son a sissy. I'm not making your son a sissy. If you didn't hear the story, you can go back and listen to it. Yes, you are. Don't make my son a sissy. God created him to be a man. 
I believe in roles for men and roles for women, roles for husbands and roles for wives. I believe in roles for fathers and roles for mothers. Why? Because my Bible believes the same thing. And so does nature. You know, no matter how bad I want to, I'm looking for little ears. I cannot breastfeed my baby. It don't matter how bad I want to. God created us differently. But let me tell you this. I don't care whether you're a man or a woman. If you can preach, you can preach. I don't care whether you're a man or a woman. If you can teach, you can teach. If you're anointed, you're anointed. If God said prophesy, then you better prophesy. If God said discern, then you better discern. If God said speak in tongues, then you better speak in tongues. If God says interpret, then you better interpret. If God says lay hands of faith and watch me perform a miracle, then you better take those hands, anoint them with oil, and put them on somebody's forehead. If God tells you to administrate, if he tells you to give, if he tells you to serve, I don't care whether you're male or whether you're female because the same spirit poured out upon every single person who asked. You better lead, girl. And you better support her, son. You better walk in the calling that God has given you. Lead a life worthy of your calling. For you are called. So here's my closing. Here's my question. What's keeping you from answering the call of God on your life? Is it because somebody told you that you're not worthy? Is it because somebody told you that you're not worth it? Is it because somebody told you that you're insignificant because of something that you've done or something that you did? Now hear me, I'm all about restoration. I'm all about coming under the authority of an umbrella of authority. I'm all about a process. You can't just show up and lead a group. We have a process. We all walk through the process. We all honor authority. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is what is keeping you? We prayed this morning, God, speak to somebody today like you did those teenagers. Help them to hear your voice and answer your call. Some of you, you used to serve God and you stopped. And I don't know why you stopped because nobody here told you to. But let somebody hear your voice again, God. Let somebody understand that they are called, that they are anointed, that they can lead, that they can teach, that I'm no better than them because I'm in a position and or a male. And I don't know who that's talking to. I'm praying it's talking to some men in this room. You don't have a used to anointing. You have a right now anointing. What's keeping you from answering the call of God on your life and being involved in ministry, serving and giving? What's keeping you from leading other people to Jesus? What's keeping you from opening your home to a group, from co-leading or hosting or, or leading a group? What's stopping you, son, daughter? Now, if you're not following Jesus, then this is the only question that matters. What's keeping you from surrendering your life to Jesus? 
You were on fire for God at one point. Why are you not now? God has not moved his seat. That means that maybe you've moved yours. So here's what I want to say today. Pull your chair back up to the table. Because the only thing that God cares about is what you do with this message today. He doesn't care what you did last week. He cares about what you're about to do next week. He wants you to know who you are in his eyes. And when you understand your identity, you will walk in your anointing.